Well, guys, I am going to share something today that is a lifelong message for me. I believe it is a critical thing that many in the modern church, and particularly maybe the charismatic church, seem to need to be reminded regularly. So I'm going to pray that God does something and shifts our thinking today, and that a miracle happens in our lives to make us more like Him. Amen? And so, see, I even get the little babies very happy. They're excited. Preach it! That's what they were saying. That's not the title of my message. Oh, that's going to be news. News. But Dad, I just thank you that you're an amazing father. But Lord, you also said that as high as the heavens are above the earth, so much higher and greater are your ways than ours. There are many things you do we don't understand, even though we know that in all things you work it for our good. Father, I pray for every person here. You know what they're going through. You know the lies of the enemy in their lives. You know their challenges. And I'm asking that truth would obliterate every lie today. I'm asking, Father, for a grace to come and flood every person's life, that we would start to think more like heaven and less like this world in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. I don't know how many of you have been listening to the news lately. Dangerous, dangerous sport. But I'm afraid it comes through, right? Anyone been listening to the news lately? Like the last six months uh, of stuff that's going on. And, and, you know, it used to be the news. Today it seems like, turn on and let's listen to the bad news. You know, and uh, so many people, when I get into social settings and sitting in a restaurant last week, just listening to people around who are just so concerned about what's coming out of the news and what's happening and things are going to this and, you know, we're really and disappointment and discouragement and insecurity settling in. Anyone can relate. You know what I'm saying. And especially people who are looking at the nation, where the nation's going, where's our economy going? God, I had my plan. I had my salary increases. I had everything. So, and now all of a sudden there's insecurity. And unfortunately, the last six months has kind of gone from bad news to extra, extra bad news to bad, bad, bad news to like terrible news to, oh my God! Now, the truth is, there's actually still some good news out there, but it doesn't make the headlines. When last did you see a headline that said, 28 ministers doing great work and are not corrupt? When last did that make headlines? When last did it make headlines? In fact, the news even kept that million people prayer meeting that was held out in Bloom. They managed to keep that out of the news pretty well. Did you, did you notice that? And the truth is, friends, that we, if you make the news your source of views, you will have the blues. Should I say that again? If you make the news your source of views, you will get the blues. You've got to make sure you're listening to the right voices. Carol and I have a habit in our lives that when one of us says something negative, critical, disappointment, anxiety, we respond with, who told you that? Next time you hear something bad about yourself or your situation, look to Jesus and just look at yourself and say, now who told me that? Was it Jesus? Because Jesus is not silent and is not spreading bad news, which means in every situation, no matter what's going on around you, there is always hope and good news coming from heaven. Heaven's perspective is always different. Many people... The primary voice in their soul is not the voice of Jesus. It's not the voice of the Holy Spirit. And as a pastor who counsels people regularly, I can tell you people have been going through some stuff lately. I have counseled so many. How many of you have been going through some stuff? Right. How many of you have been going through so much stuff you can't even raise your hand? It's like, so, I see those hands. I see them. Friends, I preached quite a while back on 
why bad things happen to good people and the understanding of suffering. I'm not doing that today. Go get the podcast because I believe that's a critical message too. But today I want to teach on God's secret mindsets, God's secret weapon against disappointment and anxiety in the world. And I'm going to drink to that. Sitting with so many people and so many Christians over so many years, being in the ministry now 30 years, most of our ministry is counseling people. And I can tell you, I've been around many different churches. I was born on the second pew of the Methodist church, Methodist youth pastor, then got charismatic and we started a charismatic Methodist service where people got healed and spoke in tongues and fell over under the power of the Spirit and got stuck under the pews laughing for hours and couldn't move way before Toronto. We talk in 1983, 84. Had all these experiences. Started attending Rhema when they were just like three, 400 people on the side, you know. And then when his people, when Bill Bennett came to start this church, God said to me, don't get more involved in leadership. I'm going to move you to something else. And when I met Bill, God said, this is him. And hooked up with Bill, planning the, what was then Maranatha, but the His People Church that became the Every Nation Church in Johannesburg. And having gone through different messages, different teachings from many different churches, God allowing us to plant and be a, work of le le be a part of leading about seven works until now. This is our last. Seven's the number of completion, eh? So we figure we've done it now. <laughs> we, we're strand. This is it. We're going to build our legacy here now. Well, God's, it's not ours, but all of ours, right? And in the minds of so many believers, then those misconceptions cause you to react wrongly and respond wrongly because they're the wrong expectations. Now, you can say, wow, but you don't know what I'm saying, do you? I mean, you, you, but, but there's a misconception I find prevalent in so many believers. And the conceptions and misconceptions you have program your mind in terms of what its expectations of life will be. And listen, it's all in the mind. The message of the New Testament is, in fact, one of renew the mind. Would you agree? In fact, everything that Jesus spoke of, Paul spoke of, all of it is, your mind is who you are. As a man thinks, so is he. As a woman thinks, so is she. And what goes on in your mind will determine who you are, how you respond, how you live, how you talk, how you walk. Amen? And so everything we do has got to be looking at what is in our mind that is not of Jesus and replacing it constantly with what is Jesus. And that's the Christian walk. The Christian walk is all about changing your mind. And so these misconceptions that program our mind for the wrong expectations, when you have wrong expectations, let me just say this. If you go into your boss's office knowing that you've done well with an expectation that you're about to be promoted and get an increase, that is your perception conception. And I walk into his office and he says, sorry, we're going to let you go. We're firing you. What will your response be? Yeah, I know. Now, you will get more disappointed than if you said, Jesus, I don't care. This, my hope's not in this. Whether I get promoted or fired, I don't care. My hope's in you, Jesus. Maybe it's time you want to send me to another mission field. I don't care. No matter what happens, my hope's in you. Do you think that your boss's message would change your heart as potently if you had the right expectations? So if you want to reverse wrong responses and remove risky reactions, you've got to refresh the way you reason. Amen. Remember this. In fact, the message of the New Testament, John the Baptist came saying, the message is repent. Right? Then Jesus spoke a message of repentance. Then when Jesus left and handed over to the early church, the first message of the early church was Peter sharing about Jesus. They said, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter says to them, repent. Now, when you say repent in a church, most people think that it means stop sinning. Would you agree? Repent. 
you know, you get these guys Bible waving in the movies, repent, and they're like weirdos, and they stand on street corners, and the end of the world is nigh, kind of repent. That is not what that word means. Repentance is a lifestyle in the New Covenant. In the Old Testament, yes, it means stop doing what you're doing to and walk in the opposite direction. In the New Testament, that word repent, who knows what it means? You're about to, okay. It means to change the way you think. Just say sure. That's the South African amen. It means to change the way you think. That's right. Now, I believe some of these misconceptions, certain parts of them, came from some of the extremes and excesses of the faith movement, which I was a part of. And I don't know how many of you went through the faith movement, or if you even watch Christian TV, there's a message that comes out of that, that I believe so some of these misconceptions, and a lot of good came out of the faith movement, believe me, I learned a lot, grew a lot, but there was some kind of mindset that stuck, and in some churches became a prevalent message, that if you are a Christian, it means that if God loves you, you will live a life of leisure, pleasure, and treasure without measure. Now, how many of you have heard or felt that message in your lives? That if God is good, then my life is going to be one of pleasure, leisure, treasure, without measure, no pressure. You know, I, I was in a church where this was taught, uh, just, you know, I was uh, visiting. I wasn't a part of it, but, you know, the truth is that what ended up happening is if you weren't living that life, you felt like, A, you didn't have enough faith, or B, God didn't love you as much. You know what part of the problem is with some of the, the whole faith movement or the whole Christian thing even, is that we feel like we've got to hype things up to like, God is so good, look what He did. And so we get 5% of the people who've got that sharing their testimonies and writing books. And the 95% who don't got that, how do we feel? God, why does you love me? Look what you did for them. Well, what if I told you that that's maybe not the biblical kingdom view of what your life on earth should be? You can just say, sure, sure. You know, <laughs> I'm going to be known as Rain Man now, bro. Most of these teachings came out of very wealthy nations. Mostly out of the nation that has so much wealth that they can send movies and TV all over the world. And so the message of everyone should be living the American dream now becomes the kingdom dream. And if you're not living that American dream, then somehow you get anxious, you get disappointed. That message isn't preached in China. And yet China has one of the strongest, fastest growing churches in the world. And China grows through suffering and persecution. Just so much saying. Here's a secret that I believe the early church had that we cannot lose sight of. We have got to hold on to the mindset and have holding on to the thoroughly therapeutic thrill of thankfulness through thick and thin. 26 years ago, I, I preached a message called the thoroughly therapeutic thrill of thankfulness through thick and thin. It was before computers. It was handwritten notes. They got lost long ago. It was on a tape somewhere. That got lost long ago. I don't remember what I said in that message. All I know is that topic has stuck with me through my life, and there's so many times that I'm going through it, and I'm grumbling and complaining, and God says, didn't you preach a message? You know, you know the one with a in it? Oh, yeah, thank, thank you. Thank you. Friends, I want to tell you something. There's something about the early church, the mindset of Jesus, what he modeled, what the early church modeled, what Paul modeled, what the new covenant models, what healthy Christian churches are modeling, is that no matter what you go through, we can have an attitude of gratitude because he's one. And there are a few mindsets we've got to catch if this is going to be, you know, our secret weapon. This is a secret weapon. It's a very, very deep secret. I'm sharing with you unknown things. 
Isn't it a secret that you can actually be thankful in everything? How many Christians do you know are thankful in everything? Forget about non-Christians. How do you think your life would change if you learned to be thankful every minute of every day? Just think about that. How many of you were thankful that you had to get up early this morning that you could come to church? How many of you will be next week? <laughs> Friends, here's the thing. You know, the early church, the early church didn't grow up in this teaching. The early church grew up in a nation that was far worse than what we have. Zero economy because nothing belonged to you. You were under Roman oppression, Roman rule. They beat you. They killed you at will. And eventually, as Jesus prophesied in AD 70, they destroyed everything you had and killed every second person, cut open pregnant women, destroyed everything. The early church was birthed in the most intense suffering you can imagine. When you read the writings of the early church post-Nero, Nero was the most persecuting Caesar ever. And he wanted to destroy Christianity, and he made life as unpleasant and hellish, not just for unbelievers, but any non-Roman in the world. And the world that they were birthed into was a world where you lost everything, you gave up everything, but you were so grateful. You just rejoiced through it all. It was like, thank you, God, that you considered me worthy. And then the church finds itself in a place where we have prosperity, we have comfort, we have all these wonderful things, and somehow that's now God's best for our lives. I'm not saying get rid of all of it because, hey, God does want to bless us. It's where your hope is, friends. There are two worlds. This world's not our home. Would you agree? You, the Bible says we're aliens. <laughs> You're aliens in this world, and you're not just aliens, you're enemies of the world. And so there's two worlds. Which one are you living for? Success in the unseen realm looks very different to success in the seen realm. And what has happened in the modern church is this lie that somehow if God is for you, you must have success in the seen realm and make the world's goals your goals, and then God's really for you. But success in the unseen realm often doesn't look like success in the seen realm. Some of you may have read the book, The, the uh, Final Quest. And, you know, something, some, some things in that story just hit me, but there was a lead prophetic minister in the body who God allowed him to go to heaven and meet certain individuals. And one of the individuals that he met was a man named Angelo. And Angelo, he gets to the throne where all of the people who've gotten, like, all the rewards. Well done, good and faithful servant. Not everyone gets a throne in heaven. Angelo's on a throne. He's amongst, he's right there up with Paul and Peter and all of them. Do you remember this man? And all of a sudden, God takes him back to a street corner where a homeless man who stank, who was dirty, who was filthy, standing on the street corner shouting about how good Jesus was and how you needed to get saved. And this man looked at him and said to his friend, it's people like that that give Christianity a bad name. <laughs> and here he is meeting him sitting on a throne in heaven because God says he was one of my most successful ambassadors on earth. He loved me. He was rejoicing. He was more thankful than people living in palaces. Wow. You see, here's something that Jesus said and promised us. Because so many believers are holding on to the promise, He became poor so I could become rich. Well, you know, that richness is richness in the unseen realm, not just necessarily the seen. And I'm not saying God doesn't want to make you rich. All I'm saying is wealth in the New Testament is not always seen as a good thing. If God's called you to reach wealthy people, He might make you really wealthy so you can be in their world. But Jesus said how hard it is for a wealthy person. To enter the kingdom of God. I'm not saying God doesn't want to make you wealthy. All I'm saying is if your hope is in these things, you're going to always end up being open to the attacks of the enemy. And so Jesus said, in this world, you will have slipsies. How many of you have, you know, put that on your fridge? Well, you don't know what slipsies is, do you? Well, it's often translated as trouble, but it is the Greek word for pressure. In this world, you might not have treasure, leisure, and pleasure, but you will have pressure. 
You will always have what you need. That's what Jesus promised. You'll always have what you need. But if you're comparing your needs to the needs of the guy who's got the multi-million company, you'll always be disappointed. God's secret weapon against disappointment is to look at your life and go, thank you for what I have. Thank you, Jesus, in the midst of this. And that word means you're going to experience affliction, anguish, you'll be burdened, persecuted, tribulation, trouble. How does that sound? Come to me, I will give you riches. Oh, slip, I don't want to go through that. Maybe we should change that to thankfulness through slipsis and thin. I will give you slipsis. But you know, when you have that experience, how many of you think that God values your character more than your comfort? How many of you value your comfort more than your character? <laughs> I don't care, guys. Give me a nice life. I don't like the pressure. Well, the word character is the Greek word character, believe it or not. Huh? <laughs> and it literally means this, an image or impression formed under pressure. It is the word used for when the king took his signet ring and pressed it into the wax and made an image, his image. That is the same word used for character, is that Jesus is going to put some pressure in your life to squeeze out everything that's not of Him so that you look more like Him. So when you're going through pressure and you believe that a good God wants you to always have a good life, then you're going to be not submitting to what He's doing to build your character. If I have a beautiful Colgate toothpaste tube and I fill it with mud, on the outside, it looks great. I can bring it to church and we go, oh, what a beautiful toothpaste tube. What a smile. It's only when we go under pressure that we see what's inside. Hey? Everyone got that song coming up. Under pressure. It's not, it's not my life dream to be under pressure all the time, but God uses it to change us. And the truth is that when everything in the seen realm looks like it's going wrong, in the unseen realm, it's all going right if I'm submitting to God. And so whenever I look in the unseen realm, I've always got something to be thankful for. And so Jesus said, well, that's the thick of it. Let me share the thin. He starts John 16 by saying, I've told you this, that you may have peace in me. Pressure in the world, peace in me. At the same time. And he wraps up that verse by saying, but take heart because I've overcome the world. Which means the world doesn't get the final say. He does. The world doesn't judge you in the end. Jesus does. So if the world is judging you based on the world's standards and you let it get to you, then it means you're not listening to Jesus and how he judges you. Because when you live in for Jesus, you're successful. Success in the world and success in the kingdom are two different things, friends. And we do have an enemy. It's not all just persecution. Sometimes it's just stuff. i got to tell you how much stuff hit me this week preparing this message. I'm going to give you a handout before you go. The printer broke halfway through. Wesley knows. He heard me swearing at it. I was not thankful. <laughs> God had to remind me, are you thankful that you have a printer that can break? But friends in everything. And so the message, we have an enemy and he's going to do whatever he can. It says he prowls around like, like a roaring lion looking to devour. He's not just going to pounce on you. He takes you inch by inch, compromise being a cinch. And he'll get you to be deceived. He'll get you to have misconceptions. If he can't get you to reject Jesus, he'll get you to believe the wrong things about him. I want to share something. Yes, Peter and Jesus. In fact, before I talk about the verse there, see Peter and Jesus, you know, that's what they looked like. <laughs> it's great that we're getting photos coming out of the archives now. The message of the New Testament was always come to Jesus so you can die. Come to Jesus, lay down everything that you have, 
give it to him and you live for him now and no matter what you go through in that process he's good and this is not your world friends there are components of heaven elements of heaven on this world that is the only elements of heaven the unbelievers will experience but there are also elements of hell on this earth that are the only elements of hell that believers will ever experience because this is not our world and so if i'm going through hell here i recognize this ain't my home which means i've got something better coming amen <laughs> so peter and jesus jesus says to his disciples who do you say i am peter eventually gets the rev you are the christ the son of the living god Jesus goes, applause, applause, well done, Pete. You. you got it right. You, you didn't even get this rev. My father gave it to you, but upon this revelation, I'm going to build my church. It's going to be glorious. Well done, Pete. How do you think Pete felt? God loves me. God's good. I'm great. And he looks at the other apostles because they fought a lot about who was the greatest. He's like, argument settled, dudes. So then we see Jesus takes the disciples aside and starts to share this. From that time on, Jesus starts to explain to his disciples that he's going to go to Jerusalem and he's going to suffer. Say suffer. Suffer. Many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, teachers of the law, scabs, parasites, all the rest. That he's going to be killed on the third day, but raised to life. Notice the disciples didn't quite catch the raised to life thing until he raised himself. Peter takes him aside and began to what? <laughs> can you picture it i'm the greatest no jesus this shall not happen to you this shall never happen to you never say never now jesus who's just told him well done pete turns to him and says get behind me satan you're a stumbling block to me you don't have in mind the concerns of god but merely See, here, here I believe is one of the critical lies that the enemy gets into Christians' lives to make us disappointed, to make us think we're falling short, to make us think God's not a good God, is that he lies to us in our faithful folly about what God should be doing. And that a good God will not allow you to suffer. So if you are willingly given into suffering, I rebuke you. I have been rebuked for not having sufficient faith because I'm going through stuff. When we planted our church in Namibia, we didn't have many leaders. Everyone was a new believer. They'd never read a Bible before. It was glorious, but it meant I had to do everything, and I burned myself out because I did more than Jesus told me to. And I got fibromyalgia and an intense chronic disease that has followed me since for 20 years now where I am in constant pain. I am on Schedule 6 painkillers 24-7. I don't have a lot of energy. In fact, most days I only get up at 11. So me being up in time for the first service is a miracle. Thank you, Jesus. And I've had times where I've complained to God and people have said, you don't have enough faith. You've not forgiven because if God were good, you'd be healed. I'm not saying God made me sick. I made me sick. But I have learned more through this challenge than I would have ever if I'd continued doing everything myself. I learned how to raise up others. I learned a whole lot of good stuff. And there are times that I say, God, why haven't you healed me? There are days that I'm in so much pain, I can't get out of bed. And I'm just like, God, come on. I, I have so many things I want to do today. And nearly every time he says to me, apart from remember that message you preached. But it's like, Andrew, open your eyes. You have two eyes that can see. Can you hear the birds singing? Can you stand up on your legs and walk? You have two legs that can still walk. And it reminds me of what I do have. And he says, if you're thankful for what you do have that many others don't have, then you will push through this. And it will be better for you. He says he will turn all things for the good for those who are called. That doesn't mean everything's going to be good. It means he's going to make it good for you no matter what you're going through. 
and he has. He's made it good for me. I still believe for healing, but I'm telling you what, if my hope was in healing, I'd be upset with God. My hope is in God, whether he heals me or not. And we only hear the testimonies of those who get healed. I have to speak to the people who don't. I have to say to you, so you didn't get healed, what are you going to do about it? So God didn't give you that job, that promotion, that big lotto winning that you knew he was going to give you that night. So what are you going to do about it? Going to get all bitter and angry and upset that God doesn't love you? Or are you going to grow up and say, I'd rather have character than comfort because I want to be more like Jesus. And I'm prepared to embrace the cross. Peter had in his mind that a good God would not allow you to go to the cross. The cross is not God's will for you. What did Jesus say? You have in heart, in mind, the things of man, not God. And I think too many Christians have in their hearts the desires of man above the desires of God. And that's why you're disappointed in God. Disappointment in God is becoming a chronic Christian complaint. Yeah, you can say short to that one. What does Jesus say after he's rebuked Peter and Peter doesn't feel like the greatest anymore? Jesus turns to his disciples and says, listen, guys, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. That is the message of the gospel. I have heard altar calls come to Jesus. He'll take your problems away. I'm going, oh, Jesus, help those people. Come to Jesus, you'll get more problems in this world, but boy, you'll have rejoicing. You'll have joy, you'll have peace, you'll have things that money cannot buy. You'll have everything He created you to be. And some of you may live a life of leisure and pleasure and treasure, but most of you won't. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for me will find it. So what good is it if you gain the whole world but forfeit your soul? I have seen Christians who have gone so cold on God because they now have everything they need. Because they gained the world. What can anyone give you in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come into His Father's glory with His angels. Then He will reward you according to what you have done in the world that is your world. Sure. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. So when we talk about the thoroughly therapeutic thrill of thankfulness through thick and thin, that is God's secret weapon. Amen. And if I, I mean, we, we don't have time for me to talk about everything in Scripture. The Bible is full of this. Let's look at the Israelites. Let's start way back there. The Israelites wandering through the wilderness. And boy, did they wander. And I'll bet that about 39 years into the 40 years, they were wondering whether God was still good. And so many believers, what was the message? You're in slavery. You are being tortured and whipped and beaten every day. Nothing you have is yours. I'll deliver you and take you to a land flowing with... <laughs> oh, excuse me. Now, there were other things in that, but all they heard was milk and honey. Pleasure, treasure, pleasure. Woo. We're going to follow this Moses dude who is a type of Christ. He's going to take us out of slavery into leisure, pleasure, treasure. And so they get out there and they're wandering through the wilderness. Give us a couple of weeks, we'll be there. It would have only taken them a few weeks, by the way. But God had to then get Egypt out of them. So he said, we're going to camp here for a while while I train you my ways. So now we camped in the wilderness. Places, there's no water. Okay, Moses, listen. You said milk. There's not even any water. And as for the honey, <laughs> and they grumbled and complained a lot. They were very good at it. And then eventually they do come into the presence. And they're going through the wilderness. They get to the promised land. Here's the Israelites grumbling and complaining. Sometimes they even say, let's go back to Egypt. What? Because we had leaks. So I, I've had some leaks when the enemy hits me, but it's usually in the Giza and places like that. Now think about this. What would you give to have the tangible, visible presence of God with you 24-7? What would you give to have angels who stand ahead of you and behind you? Big angels that you can see every day. 
What would you give to see the cloud of God come over the meeting place every time that Moses goes to talk to him? What would you give for this tangible, miraculous clothes that don't wear out, shoes that don't wear out, and food from heaven? Well, they got to a point where, sir, what's on the recipe? Well, we have a lovely manna soup for starters, and then you can have grilled manna or roast manna straight after. For dessert, we have a beautiful caramelized manna that we've... They grumble and complain, God, we want meat. So God gives them meat, but they end up choking on it. And instead of being grateful, they forgot the thoroughly therapeutic thrill of thankfulness through thick and thin, and they just complained. And so, in Numbers 14, God says, they're not going to enter the promised land. Why not, God? How long will this wicked congregation grumble against me? I've heard the grumblings. All I get from Israel is grumblings. I hear the grumblings which they grumble against me. Are you getting the picture? Jesus is like hammering it. So say to them, as I live, they will die. Every person from 20 years up who has been grumbling against me will not make it into the land. The only ones that will make it are Caleb and Joshua. The only two who didn't grumble and complain and said, God, I don't care about the giants. I don't care about the warfare. We're going to take that land. If all you hear is milk and honey and expect that God is going to drop it into your lap with lots of money. Life ain't going to be funny. May as well go pray to the Easter Bunny. I don't know. Because even when you get your promises, they're going to take hard work. They're going to take warfare and they're going to be giants. And the ones who weren't thankful through the thick didn't get to live the thin. I, I don't know which is, which is worse, thick or thin. All I know is in the thick of things sounds bad and being thin sounds good. So I, I just assume. <laughs> David lived a life that had some incredible suffering and challenges. He was anointed king and then chased, hounded, and tried to be killed and lived in caves for years. And he writes, make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us. We're his. We're his people, the sheep of his pasture. So how do you enter his gates? Why so many people don't make it into the presence of God is that you can only get in there through thanksgiving. And there's no St. Peter at the gate saying, can you come in or not? All I can say is them gates open to thankfulness. And if you are going, God, where are you? It might just be that the gates aren't opening because you ain't thankful. Just saying. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Enter his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. Why? For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever. His faithfulness to all generations. Whether my situation is good, whether what I'm experiencing feels good, God is good. And ultimately what He has for me is good. David went through some stuff. And God, while writing this psalm, he talks about the cords of death have entangled me and how terrible it is. And he ends by saying, I will sacrifice a thank offering to you and call on the name of the Lord. There are times that giving thanks is a sacrifice. There are times where everything in you just does not want to give thanks. That's when you say, I feel like the cords of death have entangled me. The enemies surround me. But I choose in the midst of this to say, thank you, God. And he coined a phrase right throughout Psalms that was used by kings and, and the Israelites for the rest of their days, which was, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His loving kindness endures forever. How did Hezekiah win the war? He put the worship team in front of the army. They were outnumbered, overwhelmed, and he put the worship team in front. And what did he make them sing? Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. I hope I don't get killed. And His loving kindness... Worship team. And then God slaughtered the enemy. How about trying to sing that next time you're going through stuff? Two men, two leaders in the body of Christ went to a hostile territory because they were on a mission. Friends, if you know God didn't leave you here on earth so that you could live a life of leisure, pleasure, and treasure. He, 
he left us here because we were on a mission. Now, how many of you have been on a mission trip? Right, so the few of you who've been on a mission trip, you know that you can tolerate horrible stuff because you're on a mission. But then I want to go home and have my comforts back. If you're on a mission in this world, God might send you into comfortable places, might send you to uncomfortable places. There'll be times that things might be good. There'll be times He might send you to people who have nothing so that you have nothing. He's going to put you in places because you're on a mission. And so He sends Paul and Silas, and they're out there. And doing the will of God gets their clothes ripped off, beaten by a crowd, and it says they were beaten, 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 and then thrown into prison with their feet in stocks. And their response was, you can read it in Acts 16, Oh God, we were doing your will. What the? Oh, sorry, that's the deceptive version. What, What did they do? They rejoiced. They sang hymns. And this Paul who's gone through shipwrecks, I mean, a shipwreck's not persecution, right? That's the sea getting mad at you. Some of you are like, well, you know, persecution's okay, suffering. No, you're going you're gonna to have lots of stuff go wrong. Naked, hungry, rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. Don't be anxious in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving. Present your request to God, then you have peace. So many people are waiting for their life to come right so they can have peace. So many people are like, well, when I'm there, I will have peace. No, when you're in Jesus, you'll have peace no matter what is. And you know the peace of God transcends all understanding. Because your understanding is saying, you should not be peaceful right now. Your understanding is saying, you should be anxious right now. But the peace of God transcends the understanding and says, who cares about your understanding? Let's show you a higher way of understanding. And the peace will guard your hearts and minds no matter what you're going through. Paul says later on in Philippians, if you flip lower down, he said, so here's the deal. After all my suffering, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Just say sure. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I can say this. There have been times that we've had plenty. In fact, last couple of years in Namibia, we had people giving us hundreds of thousands of rands to tour the world. I was all over the world all the time, revival places. We had need gone. It was like, I made it. Then when my health collapsed and I had to come back here, we lost all of it. And it was like, God, have you left me? And God had to teach me, now hang on, I know what it is to have plenty. I also know what it is to have need. But I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Whether I'm well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or want, I can do all things through God. It gives me strength. And so many people quote that little last part there, I can do all things through Him. It gives me strength. As kind of, He's going to make me an overcomer and a victor, and I'm going to head this company one day because He gives. No, what is His grace that gives you strength is to endure all of that with thankfulness. Amen. And you need grace for that. Paul again says to the Thessalonians, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in. Also, it's like, God, I'm not giving you thanks for that. That's okay. Give me thanks in it. I mean, there's lots of scriptures, lots of uh, stories, lots of testimonies. So I'm going to just quickly hit you with a few in closing here. I want you to get some perspectives from peanuts. No matter what situation you're in, can either lead to grumbling or gratitude. So if you're in a place where Thanksgiving Day, everyone's having it good, and you're just like, oh, man, I just get dog food. Of course, it might have been worse. I could have been born a turkey. <laughs> Listen, friends, you are going to find that in every situation, there's always something to be anxious about, and there's always something to be thankful about. William Law, an amazing Christian leader during 1686, 1761, just an amazing author. You read some of his stuff, loved God, changed the way the church thought about things, said this. Would you know who's the greatest saint in the world? He who is always thankful to God, who wills everything that God wills, who receives everything as an instance of God's goodness and has a heart always ready to praise God for it. You could not do more for yourself than by this thankful spirit, for it turns all that it touches into happiness. 
And so you can take a picture of this. I have found there are three keys to being thankful if you look at Scripture. We've been talking about thanking God in every situation in your life. But the second corollary is just as important. As you are thankful for things, bite your tongue when you want to grumble and complain. Don't allow yourself to complain. Paul writes to the Philippians, you can flip there later. Do everything without complaining or arguing. Everything. When last did you complain or grumble? Uh, this morning. <laughs> but friends, he has a critical secret. Don't compare yourself to others. Don't look at the ones who have treasure, pleasure, and leisure and go, oh God, you love them more than you. No. Listen, if the Angelos end up in a throne having more than the guys who had everything in this life, then if you're living for Jesus with a thankful heart, things will change. I'm going to let you take a picture of this. I've got, I'm going to give it to you on the cards. Could the ushers hand those cards out for me quickly, please? Thank you. I want you to each get one of these. It's kind of homework. Is it okay to get homework from church? This guy's not a Christian, but he, he studies positive psychology and is an author of it. And in studying positive psychology, he thought, I'm going to study gratitude. And then he says, I'm about to do this study. Does that mean this is a Christian blog? He said, no ways, I'm not religious. And I didn't expect much. But this is what he found when he studied it. The health benefits are out of this world. But he also found 31 benefits of gratitude that have been scientifically proven from 40 different studies. Now, I've given you, all you need to take down is that. Go get to the website if you want to look at all those studies. But it's proven secular science. And there are some secular people like him who are more thankful than Christians. This is an app that I recommend. I've also put this on the card that I'm giving you. I've been using this app now. It's called the Gratitude app. It alarms every day. It gives an alarm to say, what are you thankful for today? All those benefits they found came from people who wrote down what they're thankful for and who then spoke it. So you've got to journal and jabber your thankfulness, right? I encourage you this week to write down what you're thankful for and to share it with others. If you get a card, now the printer broke halfway, so some of you didn't get the back part, what you're not anxious about. Some of you might have just got what I'm thankful for, that's good enough. The back part is for what you are not going to be anxious about anymore. But I encourage you to get this app. I've been using it. So every day, it just changes the way you think. Every day an alarm goes off and says, what are you thankful for today? And they found that the benefits of thankfulness were the greatest for people who did this. Every day they journaled it. So... It's not all bad news. I'm going to ask Sam to just share a couple of minutes of what he's a part of. There is good news out there, and it depends what voice you listen to. Pastor Sam, come on up. Morning, family. So, um, Africa, the good news is actually a sister a publication to South Africa, the good news. You know, you listen to the radio, there's so much bad news. Politics, drama, war, disease. But that's not all that's happening in the world, right? So there's so much good that's happening. So um, um, I help run a, an account called Africa the Good News. So it's at Africa Good News if you want to follow us. We've got 40-something thousand uh, people following us, which is great. And really just to say that the narrative around Africa has been so negative that um, there's actually so much good happening, economic growth, you know, um, even disease and war and poverty is actually coming down or across the continent, but you don't hear that uh, in the news. Uh, you can also follow South Africa, the good news. Um, there's a great website, uh, sagoodnews.co.za, and you can follow that as well. Um, and, um, you know, for me personally, sometimes I have to take a media uh, fast because listening to the news every day can actually become so depressing and, and, and steals that thankfulness out of you. So. That's all I have to say. Thank you. So guys, get hold of this. Let's start listening to what God is doing and not looking at what He's not doing or what He should be doing and be more thankful. Amen. Let's stand together. Thank you, my friend. I'm just going to leave that one up as a go away.
many of you have felt a shift in the spiritual atmosphere just while you've been embracing some of this? Some of you, your troubles aren't going to end, but the pressure is going to end in your soul. The anxiety, the disappointment, the lack of gratitude. If you are grateful, you become a better person. You become more likable. You start to see the good in things. People want to hang around with you. I want to tell you, if you become a thankful person, everything will change. And that's why it's a secret. The enemy doesn't want you to get it. And Holy Spirit, I ask that you would give us the grace to see everything that is going so well for us. To take our eyes off what the enemy wants us to see and put our eyes on what Jesus wants us to see. And we stand here today and we say, Lord, we choose no matter what. As Paul said, whether we have wealth or nothing, whether we fed or not, we choose to say, I am content in you, Jesus. And I ask for the grace to be content, the grace and the strength of God to come that says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. No matter what they're facing, I release that grace. And Father, I ask that you would cause us to be the most thankful people on the planet. Would you enable every person from this moment onwards to just have their eyes opened to how much good there is around them, to how many things they are to be thankful for. And would you destroy the lies of the enemy as to what it should look like if you're good instead of just recognizing you are and there's so much to be grateful for. And if you're here today and you haven't given your life to Jesus and you, maybe you just kind of added Jesus to your life, but you realize then, no, actually I need to die to myself and say, Jesus, you're my Lord. I want to pray for you. And if you're here today and you know that you need to make Jesus Lord of your life, I want you to just raise your hand and say, that's me, because I want to pray for you today. Anyone here today, you know you need to do that. Just lift it up high so I can see it. Thank you, Jesus. Can we pray this prayer today together? Lord Jesus, you died for me. You showed me what it is to suffer while rejoicing at the same time. Lord Jesus, I choose today to again give you lordship over my life. That I choose to die to myself and take up whatever cross you might have for me. And if it means denying myself the things I want, you're actually all I really want. And I say, Lord Jesus, I want to live what you called me to live, no matter what the cost. And give me the grace to be thankful through it all. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.